0: Hello and welcome to The Clubhouse, Golf Monthly's weekly look at the various different events around the world in golf. Today we hear from veteran European tour caddy Kyle Roachy rodley Hi guys, welcome to The Clubhouse i me Elliot Heath. Uh, we have a little bonus podcast for you this week with veteran European tour caddy Kyle Roachy rodley uh yeah, I'd like to thank TaylorMade for setting this up. We had a really nice chat, Rochi and I, for around forty five minutes. So yeah, thanks to Roachy for his time. Like this was the the Eve before the British Masters, so massive respect for that. Uh if you haven't really heard of him, he is on the bag of Sammy Valamaki currently and the the pair got their first European Tour wins together in March at the Oman Open, so yeah, I didn't actually know that Rochi had never won on the European Tour in, in just over 20 years so that's obviously a huge moment for him and he, he describes that in our interview. He's also briefly caddied for Adam Scott as well so he spoke a bit about that, he spoke about how you get into caddying these days how he got into caddying uh, who he's caddied for, big mistakes you can make and, and all sorts of stuff like that and yeah, uh, he, he's a lovely guy. He's, he's very funny. And I'm sure you're, you're going to enjoy it. He's uh, he's such a great character, such great knowledge and experience. Before we get into the interview, if you do like the podcast, please subscribe to us and leave us a review that really helps. And follow us on social at Golf Monthly on Twitter and Instagram and at Golf Monthly magazine on Facebook. Also, we'll be back on Tuesday for our regular Clubhouse podcast. So, you hear from us then. But until then, let's get into the interview with Rochi. Enjoy. Kyle Rodley, also known as Rochi, welcome to the Clubhouse. Thanks for joining us today. Um, no, you're welcome. How, how's it going on, on the European tour? Obviously, this is the first start back on the main tour this week. I, I think you're in Austria the last couple of weeks. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's right, mate. Yeah, we were uh, we're in Austria in the last few weeks. Um, I mean, it was all okay. We were able to stay where we wanted to, uh, eat where we wanted to. Obviously, the golf course was. Uh, you know, we had to be PCR tested before each week, um, going into the golf course each day. We needed to be heat tested, um, and so forth and so forth. So the protocols at the golf course were. We're rather stringent and all the rest of it. But, um, but yeah, it was sort of pretty much business as usual. This week and, and the next few weeks are going to be marginally different. I'm actually staying at the Hilton up here in Newcastle this week, which is one of the official hotels. Um, we've all pretty much got to stay in the hotel or the golf course. So we're not permitted to leave the hotel or stop off, go to the pub go to a restaurant or anything like that. So yeah, it's a bit of a, a strange situation, but yeah, we're not even allowed to stop off for petrol on the way between the golf course and the hotel or vice versa. So it's, it's pretty full on. We've got masks to wear and we're getting tested every day and so forth and so forth. So it is what it is. Obviously we're an international uh, sort of sporting company in a way so the UK government have set their standards and protocols for us to adhere to and fortunately we've been able to get back out on the golf course which is what we all want so we're all trying to do the right thing and obviously a lot of people behind the scenes Keith Pelly and the committee have have done a hell of a lot of work to be able to allow us to get back on the golf course so the best thing we can do is, is respect all the hard work they've done over the last few months and and just toe the line and adhere to the rules. And, and uh, yeah, it's, we're all thankful that we're, we're back out there.
0: Yeah, it does seem that the European Tour are taking this very seriously. Uh, the, the PJ Tour, well, they are taking it seriously now, but they, they kind of were allowed out of the bubble, weren't they? Whereas it seems like if you're not even allowed to get petrol, are you allowed to go down for a beer in the hotel bar?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everything's sort of standard as far as, uh, you know, the the, the hotel restaurant um, and, you know, obviously the bar and so forth. But we're we're basically restricted to the hotel. We're not allowed to leave the hotel. Um, I think there are limited possibilities for people that go jogging. Um, But, yeah, basically it's get up in the morning, get in the car and go directly to the golf course and vice versa, um, leaving the golf course, coming back here. No stopping off at supermarkets, no stopping off at the pub, no stopping off at shopping malls or anything like that. And if, you know, it's been pretty much laid down to us that if we are caught out, sneaking out, shall we say, uh, you will be banned. And, and uh, yeah, what that, how long that ban would last, I don't know. But, yeah, we've been all pretty much told that, that's what's going to happen. You, if you, if you get out, get caught outside the bubble, sayonara. and from a player's point of view, they have, they'll be disqualified. So, um, yeah, it, it is very stringent. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, like I said earlier, a lot of people have done a lot of hard work to allow us to get back out there, and uh, and the best thing we can do as caddies and players and and everything else is adhere to those rules and obviously show a lot of respect for those guys for all their hard work for allowing us to get back and do something that we enjoy doing. So yeah, that's, that's kind of where we're at and, the, and it'll be the same uh, over the next few weeks. We strictly have to travel with our player only um, between events. So m- myself and Sammy, you know, we've got to hire a hire car for the next four or five weeks and we have to travel specifically directly from hotel to hotel, golf course to golf course. And, know sort of sneaking out and and doing anything untoward if you know what i mean so (laughs) but yeah they're kind of the the rules and the laws and it is what it is so you know there's not much else we can do about it at the moment hopefully as time goes on the laws and rules will be restricted or lessened a little bit and and uh but yeah obviously nobody wants any issues or any problems with the virus so uh yeah that's how it is <laughs> it's a little bit it's a little bit strange to look you almost feel like you're in Alcatraz or in jail or something like that really but you feel like you're in school again or, or you know not being allowed, allowed to go outside to, for play with your friends but <laughs> you know, as I said it's, it's it's a bizarre situation but thankfully once we're out on the golf course it's it's what we want to do and where we want to be and it is what it is obviously the golf course is quite restrictive out there as to as far as social distancing um you know the doc doctor of the for the tour andrew murray he's done a hell of a lot of work with the uk government to adhere to it you know and, and, and set up protocols and all the rest of us for for us to adhere to so yeah it's it's quite a bizarre it's very difficult to you know you see all your mates after four months and you're not allowed to shake hands or fist pump or give each other hugs or anything like that so it's a bit bizarre. Quite bizarre, but, yeah, anyway. Uh,
0: yeah, so what's it been like with, with four months no work? We saw Ian Finnis, Tommy Fleetwood's caddy, set up a, a very nice fund for for all the caddies. But, yeah, has it been all right or been struggling?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, at the end of the day, you know, what Finnis dub was was absolutely amazing. He, uh, off his own bat and his own ideas, raised an enormous amount of money to, to help out the guys. Um, You know, there's a lot of guys out here that don't make, you know, they don't make a lot of money, Elliot. and, And, you know, we don't get paid in weeks off and we don't have superannuation. We don't have sick days. We don't get paid for this, that and the other. So, you know, there's only a small majority out here really that make, you know, the sort of money that can sustain four months or five months of not being able to work. So, some guys have been fortunate where they've, you know, maybe been able to go and work for friends, laboring or whatever. But, um, but yeah, it's been tough for the boys. That's for sure. There's no question about that. Um, uh, I don't know sort of what percentage that would be, but, you know, we all, we all rely on being out here and working and making money and making cuts and, and all the rest of it. So to have four months off and especially away from something that we all love doing as well, has been, been quite difficult, I would imagine. And, Fortunately for myself, I was in a really, really fortunate situation where we were able to sneak a little W in Oman before all this sort of kicked off. So, for financially for myself, I've been very, very fortunate. But I, I, I can't honestly say that for the rest of the boys. So, but yeah, but what Finn has does, done was beyond the call, and uh, you know, uh, thankfully the two were able to throw a little bit towards that as well, and it gave us a little bit of breathing space for a while. So, you know, it's okay for me. I'm not married with kids, but some of these guys have got mortgages and car repayments and all the rest. So I can imagine it's been really, really difficult for them.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, you mentioned Oman there, and, and obviously you're on the bag of Sammy Valimaki. Um I, I personally, I hadn't really heard of him until this year, but he was a f- phenomenal talent. He had, I think, four wins on the Pro Golf Tour last year. And then his first win, like straight away on the European Tour. Uh, what's it like, caddying for him? And kind of how good is he?
1: Yeah, um, he's very good. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, no, nobody'd ever heard of him. I, I still get asked that question today. Um, you know, where what's his story? Um, but yeah, he had he, he sort of won quite a number of times. I think four and five weeks or something on the Pro Golf Tour. It was. I think he was ranked around number 10 in world amateur golf. Um, he had to do his six months uh, in the conscription in the Finnish military. Um, came out, had a little bit of a blitz on the golf pro golf tour, which gave him a card on the challenge tour. He played a number of events on that towards the end of last year. Obviously was running into, uh, had a bit of form, went to tour school, got his card at tour school. Um... I was sort of available at the time and and was told by one of the other caddies that I should get hold of him and uh, because the kid's going to be a real talent. So I sort of did a few weeks for him. We finished seventh down in Melbourne. Um, And then, yeah, Omar. Wow. Off we went. But yeah, he's an exceptional talent. Great ball striker. Great. He flights the ball. Fantastic. Compresses it beautifully. He's got... You know he can hit it left to right, right to left, low, high. He's, he's got a lot of imagination, so and he's pretty quiet, he's pretty low key. He goes about his business quite well in relation to his, his work ethic and his practice and the way he does things. Um, he, he has quite a hell of a, an amount of uh, course management already, um, which makes my job quite easy, to be honest. But um, but yeah, I mean the kid's just turned 22 and he's got a big big future ahead of him. He's he's such a good ball striker. So once we can just get the putter working a little bit, which is a little bit of a kill his knee as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, if he can just learn a bit of speed with his putting, which lets him down a little bit, um, yeah, there's no reason why the, the guy can't go you know and, and do great things. So you just have to see how things pan out a little bit. Yeah, you've got to a fantastic start in your relationship
0: winning so early. Uh, Is that the earliest you've ever won with somebody?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, to be honest with you, Elliot, after 21 years, that's my first win. Um, Oh, really? Yeah, it's not something I'm overly (laughs) proud of, but uh, I've been at the job for a long, long time. I've lost playoffs, I've finished second, I've bogeyed the last to miss playoffs and all that sort of thing, so... Yeah, to finally get one across the board was was really, really exciting, and that's what I've been looking for for the last twenty odd years. So, yeah, fulfilled a little bit of a dream for me. He did, so it was really, really special time and something I won't forget in a hurry. That's for sure.
0: Oh, that's amazing! It was an incredible finish as well, wasn't it? With that birdie on the eighteenth, was it? Was it a playoff in the end?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, we 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 heard a roar on seventeen, and and knew that somebody had done something. So. As we walked to the we were walking to the 18th tee, and and uh, Timmy Barter, who's the Sky Sports on course commentator, had come up to me. Obviously, he didn't say it to Sammy, but he, he sort of mentioned to me, "Do you know what's just happened?" And he kind of, as soon as he said that, I I had a pretty good idea what what had happened. Um, basically, that we'd needed the birdie the last. So yeah, I mean, he had a great tee shot down there. We worked out a number and. Worked out a game plan, hit a lovely shot in there to about 25 feet, and obviously hold it, which was amazing. And and I found the playoff quite easy, easy to be honest, because he played the the whole, you know, superbly in in regulation play. And so it's just a matter of doing the same thing really. And um, hopefully we hold a putt. But on the other hand, Stoney made a little bit of a mistake and didn't quite get it up and down from left of the bunker. And yeah, the rest is history. So. Yeah, it was a big relief, I must say. I would imagine that you do. But do you get really
0: nervous coming down the back nine on a Sunday with a chance to win as a carry?
1: Um Yeah, I guess you, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say nervous. It's more, I don't know, slightly excitable. You would say at the end of the day, it, it's out of your hands. What you know, what's going on out there? They're the guys hitting it, and they're the guys holding putts, and all you can try and do is keep them focused. Um, you know. Make sure you've you got all the answers to any questions that they throw at you, and make sure you got the right answer. Um, so yeah, I mean it, it's yeah, I mean it, it is exciting. It's it's you know, I would say that for myself personally, it was a little bit nerve wracking. But I've had those nerves before. I've been been in the position so many times, but never been able to get one across the line, shall we say? So I think if you don't have a little bit of I don't know what you maybe anxiety and nervousness or something. I guess you're not human, but you can't let them see that. You're just trying to do the best you can, and hopefully they hit the right shots, and and you get a little bit of luck, and and a few things go your way. So, yeah, I mean, I like I said, I've been there so many times and never been able to do it. So, yeah, it's it's nice to finally get one a sense of relief, shall we say?
0: Yeah, that's an amazing story. Um, yeah. So, how how
1: did you get into caddy-in? Um, well, I, I used to play professionally, Elliot. Um, right. I, did tr- I did my traineeship from 89 through till 92 back in Australia. And a good friend of mine who I grew up with, we went to the same school together. We played at the same golf course together as juniors, a left-handed Australian guy by the name of Richard Green. Um, so we he, he, we'd known each other for a long time. And at that time, he went off to the Institute of Sport um, and I went off playing. I just played around Australia, all the satellite circuit and that sort of thing. 98, I believe it was. I'd sort of lost my mojo for playing and sort of lost the love of it a little bit. So I I decided to go over it or come over to Europe. I'd never been to Europe. Um, Went to some tournaments with Greeny, not as a caddy, but just as a, a spectator. I'd never been to the Open. I'd only ever grown up and watched it on TV, so on and so on. Uh, And at the end of 98, I went back to Australia, really didn't want to play. Um, Still sort of that one year sabbatical didn't really do much for me. And then Greeny had come back, called me up and asked me what I was up to and asked me if I was interested in doing some caddying for him, which was obviously something that I'd never thought about doing. I was always wanted to play. And uh, so I took up his offer. First tournament was New Zealand, uh, Gulf Harbour, World Cup. Um, Went out there, had a bit of fun and and we did the Australian summer, uh, made a bit of money, kind of thought this is okay. And then he asked me to go to Europe with him. So I thought, yeah, why not? So I come over to Europe in 99 and sort of fell in love with it, really. I got to do something that I always dreamed of doing, but I didn't have to hit it anymore. I got somebody else to hit it for me. So, yeah, yeah it was, uh, like I said, it wasn't something I'd ever planned on doing. I just kind of fell into it. But, yeah, oh, I, you know, obviously, if it wasn't for Richard, I, I would probably never have, I don't know, what I'd be doing now, packing shelves in a supermarket. <laughs> Who knows? But, no, it's, it's been a lot of fun and, and good times.
0: You weren't on the back when you made that Albatross hole in one a par
1: four, you? No, 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 no. That was that was a bit before me, I think, or after me. But yeah, I worked for Richard until I think we did five years together. Um, up until about '04, I think we finished up. And uh, I only ever thought I'd work for Richard, to be honest with you. And and I can remember we'd had the Irish Open at Port Marnock, and uh, that was that. And I thought I'd just go back to Australia and and do something else. And uh, not long after having the uh, yeah, me and Richard finishing up, I had a phone call off a, a Swedish guy by the name of Pierre Fulke, who had just played Ryder Cup and finished second at the WGC down in Metropolitan at the World Match uh, at the Match Play. Blah blah blah. Um, so yeah, that was quite a bit of a shock. I knew the guy and I knew how good a player he was, and I sort of said, "Yeah, well, can I call you back, Pierre?" So I sort of hung up the phone and. It was sort of decision time, you know. Do I keep caddying or or do I go home? And I sort of scratched my head a little bit and thought to myself, well, hang on, here's one of the best players in Europe at the moment ringing me up to for me to go and caddy for him. And So I kind of that gave me a lot of confidence that maybe I was OK at this job. So... I thought, yeah, why not? And I took him up on his offer and, and yeah, I've sort of kept going and 21 years later I'm still here.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. So you've been on the bag of the likes of Hatton, Robert Rock, Marcel Seam. Um, w- were you caddy for Adam Scott, I read?
1: I worked for Scotty just for a couple of weeks um, quite a number of years ago. Tony Navarro at the time was caddy and for Scotty and Tony didn't want to come all the way over to Australia. Um, and I, I get along quite well with Tony. Um, obviously to, to be honest with you, Tony was one of my heroes. He, I grew up with watching Greg Norman and Greg Norman was almost always my hero. So obviously Tony had cut for Greg for a long, long time. And so, yeah, Tony didn't want to come over. He wanted to spend that Christmas and, and, and that time with his family. So he'd organized me to work for Adam and I know Adam obviously. And so, yeah, it was just a two week thing down in Australia for the Australian open. And, uh, Australian PGA, which was a hell of a lot of fun and I was quite privileged to be able to carry his bag on my shoulders, to be honest with you. But yeah, Hatton for a few years. I worked for Hatton when he first came out, uh, first two years when he first came out. Um, Marcel for four years, Rocky for a year and a half. Yeah, uh, There's been a few different ones here and there for a year or two and but, yeah, I've worked for quite a number of them, I must say. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Uh, obviously, I, I'm not Australian, so I can't imagine how big Adam Scott is over there. He's huge worldwide, but he must be an absolute superstar down under.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, especially at that time, too. I mean, we're talking, I guess, probably, oh, this was obviously before we won the Masters, but yeah, I'm guessing eight, nine years ago this was now, but he was the next big thing. Um, and it was a real honour to be able to, not only for Tony to, to sort it out, with Adam for me to but then to get, and to go to the Australian Open and Adam was defending the Australian Open that year as well so yeah it was a good buzz very exciting and and uh what an absolute gentleman he was and he sent me one of the nicest messages I've ever had after after the two weeks and and uh I wish I had kept it to be honest with you but yeah class act and yeah it was an absolute honor and a privilege to to walk around the golf course with him
0: yeah so he said there that you, you kind of like fell into the game or fell into caddying, uh, is that
1: yeah. how most people get into it? or is
0: there, It doesn't seem like there's a real process of how to become a professional caddy. No.
1: Nah, um, yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, I can't speak for other people. I can only speak for my own experiences and how I got into it. Um, I, the, 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 thing, the thing, I guess, over here, in the, in, especially in the UK, is, you know, you have club caddies. You know whether it's Queenwood or Sunningdale or Wentworth or places like this. So, you know, growing up, you uh, and and we don't have that that sort of thing in Australia. Um, So obviously, I got into it through through obviously a friend of mine, and and I was playing golf as well. But but over here, you have that caddy culture, and I think over time, these guys learn the job as a teenager or a young kid, making a bit of pocket money, and and over time, you progress and you meet people and other caddies and. And away you go so you know there's some guys and and, well and girl janet in particular um who've been at the job for a long long time a hell of a lot longer than i have and i really admire the way that they've sort of come out of school or, or done it as a bit of a hobby and for a bit of pocket money and have turned it into a career so um yeah, there are. You know, that's generally the way. Or otherwise, you you know somebody who's a golf pro and and the golf pro or, or you know, they're a friend of yours and and says, hey, well, you know, come and caddy for me. So, yeah, there's, I guess there's various ways to get into it, but it's a very very difficult, clicky little world to get into. Um, it's not an easy job, and and it's not for everybody. That's for sure. I mean, once upon a time, there was more players than than caddies, but now it's the total opposite. Um, You know, there's there's obviously quite a bit of money in the game now, and it's gotten quite professional. Us guys out out here as caddies have to be more and more professional every day. Um, So, yeah, there's a number of ways, I guess, people get into it, but once you get into it, it's a drug, and uh, it's not easy to get out of it, I guess. But we are a, we are a big family and a big circus, and and it's it's quite important to be accepted as well, I guess. So, um, if you pardon pardon my pun, assholes don't tend to last very long out here, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nice. Uh, right. Something else I wanted to ask you was: Are the are the best caddies always on the best players' bags?
1: Um. Yeah, that's a tough one. It's a tough. That's a tough question, I guess. Obviously, win, winning is everything out here. Um, and to win, obviously, you know, you're recognised, and and the more you win, the more you're recognised, and apparently, you know, that makes you a, a better caddy. At the end of the day, you know, there's guys that aren't very good at the job. What what, what makes them better than somebody else? I wouldn't necessarily be able to put my finger on that, whether it's reading greens, whether it's being able to keep them calm in the in the pressure situations, knowing what to say at the right time. You know, there's all these factors that come into it. But a, a, a lot of it, I guess, too, is, is a camaraderie. It's a friendship. It's a mateship, um, you know, and on top of that, Obviously, being in, an employee and an employer situation, so I think I think it's very important to be able to be outgoing. Um, you know, introverts don't tend to go very well in the, in the caddy fraternity. You need to be able to have conversation and strike up conversation and be able to make friends out of strangers. So yeah it, it it's a it's a little bit of a strange one, but at the end of the day wins are wins, and the more you win, the more you're recognized and and when you are available that's more you're more susceptible to to getting those better jobs that's for sure
0: Have you made any high profile mistakes you can think of in your career
1: um, to be honest with you no i don't think I really have i mean we we all make. I think the most common mistake that happens on the golf course, I mean apart from getting the wind direction slightly wrong or whatever um, I think the biggest blooper you can make is getting a wrong yardage. I mean the yardages are obviously extremely important, and I wouldn't it's not easy to do, but I mean it does happen, and I have done it sometimes the player picks up on it and sometimes they don't but what tends to happen, or what has happened, there's two, there's two instances really on a, especially on a par three. So on any given day, they'll change, or the course setup superintendent, superintendents, and the tournament director, they'll change the tee box. So you'll go from a yellow dot, which is the back tee, to a to the to the next tee that's forward, and that might be 15 yards forward. So if you're not on the job, if you're not thinking, and if you're not sharp, you know you might you may give that wrong number to the front because they've moved the t markers and everything forward and especially the sign boards so the sign boards will be moved forward everything looks very very similar to the day before although you're 15 yards forward <laughs> um so so you know that, that that's happened before I've, I've been caught out on that one um and the other one too is where you have the marker spots in the fairways you know we have yellow dots red dots blah 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 and, and and what a, what can happen? And, and once again, I, I have I, I think 99.9% of us would all admit to this. Would be, you know, you hit your tee shot down there, and you pace off where the ball is to the to the to the red spot, for example, and it may be five paces. The red spot's 150 front. You pace off five, which makes the front edge 155. So occasionally, and like I said, it has happened. You take that number off. You take the five off instead of adding it on. So (laughs) your one five, five becomes one four, five. So, I mean, it is a very, very common mistake to be made. So all of a sudden, because that number, as soon as you add it on, instead of taking it off or vice versa, that number's automatically doubled. So if it's three yards becomes six yards. If it's four paces becomes eight paces. So all of a sudden now it doubles and now it can be an issue. So, um, yeah, I've I've been caught out with it once or twice, and I think most of us at some point in our careers have have probably done that one. But yeah, as far as any major mistakes, I, I can honestly say, thankfully, I've put my hand up. I've never cost my player a shot penalty or or by, you know, doing anything untoward or anything stupid. So thankfully, touch wood, and I'll just tap myself on the head at the moment. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm thankful I haven't haven't been caught out with any of those. <laughs>
0: nice. No, no, so never put. 15 clubs in the bag at an open or, or drop the no, club well, that in the water happened. at a Ryder yeah.
1: <laughs> No, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, that's happened a couple of times. Um, that's instant dismissal and you will probably never live it down, <laughs> let alone get a job again. So, you know, and that, that that is something that's very, you know, good point that you brought that up because the amount of, with, with the manufacturers, you know, uh, you know, pretty, Try this driver out, try that three wood out, you know, there's some new wedges, there's another putter. I mean, you can over time and experience notice the bag or notice there's something not right. Um so you know, these guys are always trying out new clubs or this, that, and the other. But yeah, 15 clubs, it has happened before. Thankfully, only once or twice as I can remember in my 20-odd years, but but yeah, that's a that's a super no-no, that one. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Uh right, back to the yardages. Um, do you yeah. ever see a time where laser rangefinders will come into play?
1: Um I don't think in our in in, in the big boys game though, no, I don't I don't think they're accurate enough. Um for a number of reasons. Um you know, the yardage books we have are very, very detailed. Um and especially shots in the greens, you can't if you're playing a shot uphill, the flag's on top of a ridge. The player wants to know what you know, how far over that top of that ridge the flag is. A laser won't be able to pick that up. Um, you know, being able to laser a bunker, yes, you can laser it, but it's just not accurate enough. So, in the lower re- regions of the game, yeah, I can see it, but I don't. I don't think it'll ever kick on in 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 the big big boys' game, no.
0: Right. Uh, yeah, can we always get comments on on our stuff, saying so, you know, a laser will speed up golf so so easily, but clearly it won't because you no, won't trust
1: well, it. It, it. It may speed up golf, there's no doubt about that, but in but out here, you know, these guys can hit clubs to within a yard or two yards of each other, so you know, your yardages and, and in particular with Sammy, you know, Sammy's such a great ball striker that you know, his eight iron's always 152, so if I've got a ridge at 148, you know, I know that eight iron's going to cover it, but I can laser the flag, but I can't laser the top of that ridge. And I know, for example, in the yardage book, I know exactly that that top of that ridge is one four seven. So eight irons going to cover it. If I laser it, I might laser it at one four five. I might laser it at one five two. The lasers are good; they are very good, but they're not—they're not perfect enough for these guys. Yeah, because there will oh, be there will there will be examples out there on any given day on any given golf course where. They're just not accurate enough, you know, to carry a bunker, especially if you have a greenside bunker where it may cut into the green a little bit. It, it, they're just not accurate enough in in relation to that sort of stuff.
0: Right, oh, that's really interesting, actually. Um, mm. So, yeah, what's the best shot you've witnessed? Would you say in, in your career as a caddy? Sorry if this is a, a difficult one to think of.
1: Yeah, um, I've seen a lot of hole in ones, obviously, and hold second shots and things like that. But one shot that will always stick out in my mind, uh, I work for Nicholas Colsarts, super fella from Belgium, one of, the, one of the best guys out here. I worked for him in 2006, and we were in the final group playing with Robert Carlson at Barzerback, Scandinavian Masters, and it was the 12th, I believe it's the 12th par five, and... Sort of, you you drive it down there, and there's a a big, big row of pine trees that come out on the left-hand side. They're 60 feet high, and calls it. If you don't hit it on the right line off the tee, or if you hit it down the right side, you can go over them, Um, but still very difficult to get it to the green. But calls it hit, hit his tee shot, and we'd finished in the in the pine trees on the right. We had a shot, had a swing, but he was off this pine straw. And I guess probably, oh, 50, 60 yards in front of us where there's these huge pine trees. And I sort of stood there and I'm thinking, yeah, we're just going to knock it down to the corner and wedge it onto the green. I think we might have been one or two back at the time. But anyway, uh, Cools pulls out three wood and I looked at him. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? And Cools had, you know, Cools is one of the most coolest fellows I've ever met. And and I remember him looking at me and he just said, Dude, I got this one. And when he used to say that to me, because he was such a good, I mean, he just had such great vision and he could see things that most people just don't see. his, His imagination and shop shaping was extraordinary. So he just said, yeah, I've got this one. Now, this is one of those shots, and if it doesn't come off, we're going to make 10. And, uh, but I just had to trust him. I just had to walk away. I mean, at the end of the day, it was an eight iron down in the corner and a wedge on the green, as far as I was concerned. But anyway, I just walked away, and I closed my eyes, and he hit this three wood off this pine straw that just rose like a jumbo jet taking off into the wind, and it just, just barely cleared the top of these pine trees. And you can't see it land. And we had massive crowds. Robert Carlson was leading, homeboy Sweden. And it was a beautiful day. There was thousands of people out there. And we just heard everyone just go nuts for us. And that was about the first clap we'd got all day off of the crowd. Because obviously they were all on on Robert Carlson's side. But, uh, yeah, we managed just a, just short of the green on the right-hand side. But but how we got this three-wood up in such a short amount of time. And it had to be a high cut. And... Yeah, it's phenomenal. I just, I've still got the mental image and the picture in my mind, and I think I'll die with it as well. But yeah, that's probably the best shot I've ever seen. I mean, it was, it was nothing as far as, you know, holding a shot or, or anything like that, but how he managed to get this three wood up was just incredible. But yeah, no, that, that's amazing. That, that'll always, yeah, that'll always stick with me, that one. Yeah, he's a hell of a player. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, he's just such a cool dude, Coles. I mean, I love him the bits. And my best mate. Ozzy Bry, he's been working for him now for, geez, I think ten years or something. So, but yeah, he's one of my one of my besties out here. Coles, I love him to bits, and so does everybody. Um, right, and um, what would you say the best rounders that you you've witnessed up close from either your player or or someone in the group? Best round. Wow. Um, I've seen a lot of rounds in my time, mate. <laughs> yeah,
0: I bet um, you have. yeah,
1: yeah. Um I'm going to I'm going to probably I'll I'll throw a little bit of a curveball here at you. Nice. Probably one of Hat, probably one of Hatton's rounds. I mean the guy used to walk around like the world was going to end. <laughs> well, I won't I won't mention any round in particular. But right from the first tee he would whinge and moan and like I said carry on like like the world was going to end and, and all the rest of it. And somehow, walk off the golf course, he shot five or six under. And, yeah. uh, you know, we, we, we all talk about attitude and, you know, behavior and all the rest of it right on there on the golf course and, you know, keeping a cool head and all the rest of it. But I, it always amazed me how hot headed and how bad he used to carry on on the golf course. I believe he's a lot better now and I really don't want to put him in a bad light because the guy's one hell of a player and he has grown up and all the rest of it. But I was the first guy to work for him when he first came out. And for somebody who had had that sort of behavioral trait on the golf course was terrible but it shoots 66 every time he went out and I used to just walk off there scratch my head and think how have you been able to do that with that attitude so but yeah I, I, I just got yeah that's probably the best one I can but that, that happened week in week out week in week out you know like I, don't, I just don't get it
0: oh yeah he's he's a fantastic entertainment to watch on the telly isn't he Every time he misses a part or misses a shot he's always got a, got something to say
1: yeah he, 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 he's he kind of I, I guess when I first worked for him it was always somebody else's fault or something's fault it was never his fault but now I think from what I've sort of seen on t v and you know I've seen him a little bit here and there he now i think he now sort of t- takes it uh, as, with a bit of sarcasm at himself and and he accepts things the way they are. But like I said, in the beginning, it was never his fault. But now he he's quite amusing. And I think a lot of people in the beginning who really thought, you know, who is this little, you know, blah, 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 now can sort of see the funny side of him. And he is quite entertaining now, I must say. Every now and then we get the little snippets of him hitting a shot somewhere and, and the TV cameras have picked up. You know his comments to the shot, and that they are quite amusing now. So, but yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's all I can really say on on, on the best rounds ever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice. Uh, have you got any funny stories that you want to tell?
1: Uh, funny story. Funny story. Okay, I've had a little. Th- I've had a little think about this one. Oh, good. Um, yeah, n- not that I was there, but I've, this is the story I heard, and I believe it's true. Uh Ryder Cup, Celtic Manor. 2014, was it, or something like that? Uh,
0: 2010.
1: Yeah, 2010. There we go. Exactly, 2010. Um, So everybody, all the players, all the caddies, they're all staying in the Celtic Manor Hotel, Celtic Manor Resort. Five-star, beautiful. Now, part of being involved in the Ryder Cup, you get your own room and everything you have during the week. Room service, so forth and so forth, is all paid for by the Ryder Cup. So one of the caddies that year, uh, Wobs, who's caddy for Clark and Bjorn, I think, he caddy for that year in particular. Great lad, we all know him, he's been out here for a long, long time. So you've got 12 caddies in 12 rooms and over the course of the week you just rack up the bill with... Whatever you want, food and drinks, so forth and so forth, and and as I said earlier, it's all it's all kind of paid for at the end of the week. So the other eleven guys have all decided that over the course of the week, what they're going to do every time they have to sign the bill for their room service and so forth, they're going to sign it with Wobbs's name and <laughs> room one oh five. So so at the end of the week, uh, you have eleven. 11 caddy rooms with a bill of zero, and (laughs) Wobbs's room bill was about 25 grand. (laughs) (laughs) So, so that's kind of that was quite a funny story that I remember, and uh, I think that was quite amusing of the lads. Wobbs is a lovable guy, but he's also the first guy that you're going to play a practical joke on. So, I think that was one of the best ones of all time, to be honest with you. (laughs)
0: Quality, (laughs) yeah. Uh, right, um, just coming to the end of this now, what what you say your favourite courses are around the globe?
1: Favourite courses, Paris National, without a doubt. Um, amazing golf course, love it. Always have, always will. Um, if we're talking just around Europe, uh, Balderrama, that is what it is. We all know how good Balderrama is. Um, Walton Heath, Love Walton Heath. That's beautiful. We get to go around there in the US Open pre-qualifying and we obviously had the British Masters there a few years ago as well. So that's amazing. Um, Places like Sunningdale. Both courses at Sunningdale are great. Um, I'd have to say, but mainland Europe, Valderrama and Paris National. Paris National will always stick out in my mind as one of the best golf courses I've ever walked around. Not just because of the condition of it, but because of the layout, it's interesting. You need all the clubs in the bag, you know, and those closing holes, you know, when you're under the cosh on Sunday afternoon and the pressure's on, one little mistake and it's all over. So, um, yeah, it's just a fantastic, fantastic venue and I hope we keep playing there for as long as long as possible.
0: Have you been to Augusta?
1: No, i never done the Masters, mate. Oh, I've done... Don't... Been, Stay on with Sammy Valamaki yeah, and you'll be there next year. Yeah, well, that's the plan, mate. I, I've always said I've always said to myself that I will never go until I'm inside the ropes. Um yeah. I will never go as a spectator. I will only go there if I'm inside the ropes. I've been fortunate. I've done probably, I guess, fourteen or fifteen open championships. I mean, another well, there's another one, Muirfield. I love Muirfield. Muirfield's unbelievable. Um but yeah, I've, I've, I've done a lot of Opens. I've done three or four US Opens. I've done a couple of US PGA's but yeah, I've never been able to get to Augusta. Um, yeah, but hopefully, you know, there's still, I've still got a little bit of life left in me and and hopefully Sammy will get me there over the next year or two years or three years or however long it takes. But I would like to go and I would love to go and it's two things I've always wanted to do was win and go to Augusta. I've been managed to do one of them this year and and hopefully I'll get a chance to go to Augusta before I die. <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, I hope you do as well, rochi uh, Good luck with yeah. that. Yeah, thank you, mate. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, thanks a lot for talking to us today. I appreciate that, and um, yeah. good luck with the... Uh, are you playing all six weeks?
1: Uh, we're, we're playing this week and next week, Elliot, and then we're having a week off, then we'll do the two down at Celtic Manor. Um, we're not playing at the Belfry, and at this stage we'll go to Valderrama, Portugal. Um, obviously, there's a little bit of a spike at the moment down there in Barcelona with the with the virus. So Valderrama's, although it's on at the moment, fingers crossed. I really hope it stays on the schedule. Um, but obviously, like I said, there's a slight chance that things may change. Um, and then we'll do there's a possibility the Irish Open being played the week of the Ryder Cup or what was going to be the Ryder Cup. I don't think we'll play that, but we will definitely play Dunhill-Links, Scottish Open and then Wentworth. And the rest of the year after that remains to be seen through sort of the rest of October and November. So obviously after the win and, and, you know, this is a good thing and a bad thing from my perspective, but... You know, obviously, we've had quite a lot of time off and and with the wind before the virus, um, you know we're quite quite high up in the rankings, and we can't really fall out of the top fifty. So we'll definitely get into the final series and the race to Dubai. So that's something to look forward to towards the end of the year as well. So I mean, we all work hard out here to get into the race to dubai and and, and especially the, the the final event and get inside the top fifty. So It's nice to know that we're pretty much already guaranteed to be in that. So, yeah, Yeah. we'll see how we go and we'll just keep plodding away and try and see if we can sneak another W somewhere down the road and and get up the rankings a little bit more.
0: Yeah, good luck going forward. Stay safe and definitely be cheering on Sammy Vallamacki to get you to Augusta.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, well, that's what we're working on, mate. So I'll look forward to getting there hopefully very soon. Thanks very All much, right. Ellie. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Cheers, bro. Cheers. Stay safe. Okay, buddy. Bye-bye, mate. Bye-bye.